This month on the Voices of Experience podcast, lessons in diversity from base camp at Mount Everest. One of the things that we've tried to bottle and capture from the experience is how can our brands also uh, ensure that they're extending invitations to participate. Lauren Guthrie is the global IDEA and talent development leader at VF Corporation, an outdoor empire. VF is the parent company for all the big names, the North Face, Timberland, Jansport, Vans, Dickies, I could go on. Guthrie, a black woman, looked around her office and realized there weren't a lot of co-workers that looked like her. And she didn't feel too welcome in hiking, climbing, and mountaineering spaces. So, she moved from her merchandising job to a position focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, and action. On this episode, we asked her how to design a diversity initiative that actually works, and works on a global scale. Plus, she told us how her time on the dance floor helped her find her footing later in her career. And yes, we will talk about climbing Mount Everest. Lauren, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. My first question for you is about that job title we just mentioned in the intro. I think pretty much everyone in the business world is familiar with the acronym DEI by now, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. More recently, I've heard JEDI, Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Your title has an acronym that I hadn't heard, IDEA, which is Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Action. Can you tell me where that came from and why you think it's important to have it in your title? Sure. Um, I have had the privilege of doing this work for now almost the past three years and stepped into the role in July of 2020 uh, amidst uh, um, multiple pandemics, right? Um, Public health pandemic, social justice pandemic. And VF had had a longstanding history of supporting inclusion and diversity. And the naming convention actually really articulated the scope of the work. Uh, We were focused on diversity from a representation perspective, diversifying our workforce. Uh, And we're really focused on inclusion primarily through our employee resource group structure. And uh, when I had the opportunity to step into this role, recognizing the needs of the moment, really the demands from our various stakeholder groups, whether that was our associates, our consumers, um, or the communities around us, we recognized that there was a need to embrace equity more intentionally through our strategy. We recognized that we needed a naming convention that would truly represent the intentionality, but not just the the words, right? The intentionality through our action and our commitment to action moving forward. So that's where IDEA was born, this idea that um, we had an obligation and the necessity to support stronger equity initiatives throughout our platform, and that we wanted to be really clear to all of our stakeholders that uh, this wasn't about a moment in time. This was part of who we are as an organization. The work is embedded in our purpose and that we wanted to really be clear about that commitment to action for the future as well. As someone who works in communications, I'm always really interested in words and the effect that they have. Does adding the word action into an acronym really make that much of a difference? I think I'm also someone who thinks words matter. And so, you know, as I'm talking about my work, as our team is talking about the work, as the organization uh, is really stepping into the work, uh, the the intentionality around idea really does matter for us. And we continue to call on that call to action, uh, recognizing that this work isn't owned by any single individual within the organization. It's really work that we ask to be championed across the organization, not 
just in our human resource function, but in every business facing function. And so for us to stand behind the A really matters. Uh, and we continue to elevate that, um, that ask of our associates as we, as we drive the work forward. We're going to talk plenty more about your work in this sphere, but I also wanted to ask, before you moved into the idea diversity space, most of your career was in merchandising, is that right? That's correct. So you were at places like Abercrombie & Fitch, Nike, Old Navy, Levi Strauss. How did you make the transition from that world to the world you're in now? <laughs> That's a great question, or how did the transition find me might be the better question. <laughs> um, but yeah, my most of my career career has been in merchandising, and the way that I would characterize that work is ultimately uh, servicing our consumer in, in a number of different brand contexts. And I loved that work. You know, I have a background, or actually I have a degree in history, and uh, I minored in psychology in school. And for me, what both of those disciplines come down to is uh, someone who's curious about humanity and humans and human behavior, uh, and someone who's really interested in trends and storytelling. And so for me, merchandising was a way to put all of that together. Uh, to obsess consumer need, to look at macro trend and all the influences on how consumers behaved and try to create business strategies that met the moment of where we are um, as a brand in that context and figure out how to move it forward. And so I loved doing that work and, and had the chance to work for some really incredible brands and actually um, went from Old Navy to the North Face and, and at that time was responsible for leading uh, the regional merchandising team uh, for the brand. Uh, but coming into the North Face, I can honestly say it's one of the first uh, companies that I sought out based on values and chose based on value alignment. Uh, so I was really excited to work for a brand that was passionate about triple bottom line, right? Thinking about sustainability efforts and um, community and worker rights. Uh, however, you know, I found myself being one of few people of color in the company and um, felt like there was a need to have more conversations about identity from a place of, of racial and, uh, and ethnic diversity, as well as from a gender identity perspective as well. And so um, was actually one of the co-founders of our first employee resource group uh, at VF, but we, we framed it up through the North Face at the time. Uh, in support of racial and ethnic diversity called ACE Diversity. We existed to create belonging for associates internally, but also to help navigate conversations with the brand about how to connect authentically with more, uh, more diverse consumer groups as well. Um, and so then ultimately became an executive sponsor for that group as my scope with the brand uh, increased in the merchandising role. And then really 2020 hit, and as referenced before, um, you know, a really important in moment of inflection and, um, and, and reflection uh, for, for the world, but certainly for me as well. Um, I was married at the time, but I had uh, two small children. My daughter was in second grade and was being homeschooled as schools were shut down. My son was five months old, and I think the weight for me, the, the recognition that I was raising a black man in this society was incredibly impactful and terrifying. Um, you know, I had an, a really important job that had a lot of really important demands, and yet I was really fearful for the safety of my family. And trying to balance all of these things allowed me um, 
a source of perspective that I felt like I needed to share with the company that I worked for and loved. Um, and the way that I did that was to, to, to write a, a letter to the brand president at the time to say, hey, this isn't a moment for business as usual. There are many of us who can't operate in that way. And here's some of the reasons for that. And here's some of the ways I, I see uh, that the brand can better support uh, the moment that we're in. And one of those is to be more overt about our commitment to anti-racism and to create safe spaces for associates to bring their emotion and their grief and their trauma into the workplace. And that was extraordinarily well received. Um, so when I say that this moment found, found me, I think by me uh, being about some of the challenges I was personally experiencing and advocating for my community uh, from ACE Diversity, our employee resource group, we were actually given an incredible platform for by VF to drive programming in support of our entire associate base to help navigate that moment, um, to build allyship, to build understanding um, around the needs of certain um, groups at that time, and then ultimately to, to build a groundswell of support for an anti-racism movement. And so that activation really presented me um, with a choice. I could continue in my merchandising role um, or VF actually offered me an opportunity to stand up and lead our council to advance racial equity. To step, so essentially to step into this work full time. Uh, and so what that has required of me is translating the skill set I had developed through merchandising and apply it against a different audience. You know, our strategy is built to support the communities in which we live and work around the world. So all of that uh, passion for human connection, passion to understand humanity, curiosity about human behavior, um, the ability to tell stories and seek out trends that was really critical to uh, my success in merchandising. I've been able to leverage all of those core skills in this work really just applied in a different way. Uh, and the beauty of it is it's still in support of the brands and the consumers and the company with whom I have such strong value alignment. So it's been a really interesting journey, one that I, I could never have foretold <laughs> 20 years ago, um, but is certainly using every aspect of my past experience. Is there a lot of crossover between the work you're doing in the office and the work you're doing at home, raising your son, raising a black man? Are there experiences from each that can be applied to the other? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the work of IDEA or DEI is the culmination of everyone's individual experiences. I think, you know, what I experience, um, you know, as a multi-hyphenate person in this world, you know, I'm a mother, I'm uh, a black woman, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, um, I am, you know, I am nearsighted, I, you know, there are all these elements of, of my interaction with the world that frame my perspective. Um, and I think the beauty of this work is recognizing that everybody's uniquenesses are valuable and everybody's perspective matters. That's what sits at the, at the heart of diversity. Um, recognizing where I've had challenges and being curious about other people's experiences and challenges is what helps us unlock kind of maybe some of the cultural behavioral tenets that are getting in the way of inclusion. Um, and certainly understanding how systems have limited for example, my parents' experience um, in this country and their ability 
to feel like they've had equal access to success opportunities. And in some ways, I felt that too, even growing, you know, being born in 1981, I'm going to give away my age, <laughs> uh, right? Um, and in a very different era, uh, but certainly have felt the impact, I think encourages me to seek out where um, systems may be limiting other people. So what I try not to do is assume that my experience is the same as anyone else's, but certainly in recognizing where I feel pressure points may allows me to be curious and seek out solutions for, for um, the same challenges that may exist for others. In 2020, like you said, you took that position at VF, first ever vice president of global inclusion and diversity. The word global stuck out to me there, and it made me wonder, is global inclusion and diversity work any different than purely in the United States? <laughs> it's a great question. I think it just maximizes the complexity. <laughs> um, so when we think about you know, the layers of history and context, whether that's social, political, economic, that influence our experience here, and you multiply that across you know, the, the dozens of countries that we support um, as an organization, either, you know, places where we have corporate presence or places where our brands are engaging with consumers, it really just maximizes the complexity. And so I'm lucky enough to have a team uh, of folks who are supporting me in this work, particularly on the idea side. Um, we have one person who uh, lives and works out of Singapore who's supporting our APAC region. We have another person who lives and works out of Sabio, Switzerland, who's supporting our, our European region. Um, and, and they bring incredible uh, diverse perspective uh, and sense of prioritization for, for the work. So one thing I will say is there's no one-size-fits-all approach. Um, that is magnified at VF by the fact that we have 12 global brands that we support and each brand has a different way of engaging with consumers, has a different brand story, has different baggage based on their history, has different leaders who are in a different place in their journey. Each country where we operate, there are different legalities. Um, there's different data points we can, we're allowed to ask for or reference. Um, and certainly as referenced before, there's different contexts that affects the associate experience. So. Um, I would say a lot of the tenants are the same, but how they're expressed may be different. Um, there may be cultural norms that we need to be mindful of. Um, but I, th I think the beauty of this work is when you center diversity and, and multiplicity of perspective at the heart of the work, the globalness of it keeps it interesting. <laughs> it keeps yeah. us on our toes. Um, you know, there's certainly, you know, learnings we can take from one place to apply to another, um, but it really, you know, continues to reinforce the fact that the work um, has to meet the moment, uh, has to meet, you know, the, the person, um, and then we're always looking for different entry points um, for people to step into the work to ensure that it's meaningful for them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of conversations, a lot of questions to, to understand some of these complexities. A lot of research, a lot of mistakes, a lot of willingness to apologize because we don't get it right all the time. And when we get it wrong, a lot of times it, that's at the level of identity, right? And so, I mean, even yeah. just tackling that in the U.S., you think about uh, the, the amount of um, forces that affect um, our, our interactions here. Um, but I think that commitment to the, the ultimate belief that idea makes us better 
Um, idea strengthens our culture as an organization and idea strengthens our business uh, and those core tenants continuing to build on them globally just, make, just makes us better as an organization. A lot of organizations now are working on diversity and inclusion initiatives, trying to make their workplaces better. It seems to me, though, there is definitely a line between something that works and something that doesn't. And I'm trying to find what the line is. What is the make or break between a diversity initiative that works and something that falls short? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, There's a lot of nuance there, I think, and it really ultimately comes down to um, the key objectives of an initiative. You know, for us, we when we're building a strategy, we're really clear about the root cause, what we're trying to solve, and the outcome that we want to see as a result of addressing that thing. Um, and so ultimately for us, what is successful is something that delivers on that. Um, and I think there are degrees of failures, and even within failure, there's success if there's the, if you can really pull out key learnings to move you forward. Uh, but I think within the within idea work, um, what's really important is having some sense of accountability metrics and being really clear on what those are, um, so that you can hold yourself accountable and you can keep striving for forward momentum. Um, this is work that you know is heavily reliant upon commitments, uh, but I think without those accountability measures, it's easy to make the statement and not follow it up with the work, and the work is hard. Um, so I think for me, a failed uh, initiative would be one that doesn't have a clear outcome. <laughs> Can you give an example of something like that? Uh, well, no, because we don't do that here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Perfect success rate. You know, a good example would be, you know, if we, we say, hey, we need to have more unconscious bias training at the organization. Um, and so we can then conduct unconscious bias training. Um, if we don't understand why we're doing it, what is the symptom that we see in our organization that we're treating with unconscious bias? And what is the impact that we want to see as a result of that training? I.e., that is, um, we, want to, we want to see um, an increase in our promotion rates uh, for diverse internal associates. Or we want to see less gendered language in our um, job descriptions. We need to have some clear way to measure so that you can assess the effectiveness of the initiative. And I think in this work, there are lots of trendy um, initiatives, things that companies jump on board with without a clear understanding of the impact that they want to see. Um, and so then you run the risk of either further further alienation with the concept of DEI or disenfranchisement with the concept of DEI because people don't understand why they're stepping into the work or you have no way to understand um, if you're being helpful to the culture or harmful to the culture. So for us, you know, data is critical in being able to understand the impact of the work, track that over time so that you can continuously finesse your strategy is, is critical. We've been talking a lot about the action that goes with diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And so I had to ask you about this action that you took <laughs> in 2022. You climbed to the base camp of Mount Everest? Yeah. <laughs> and this was with an, an all-black group of climbers, yeah. the Full Circle Expedition team. How the heck did you end up there? <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what 
absolutely a life-changing experience, but for a lot of reasons. So, um, you know, as mentioned in our work, we, we really seek to, um, to support three key audience, audiences, associates, consumers, and communities. And this initiative is one that ties all three together. Um, you know, this group, Full Circle Everest Expedition, came to us with a proposal for funding and, um, and brought that proposal to the North Base as a brand, recognizing the power of the brand. And the brand has done a, a, an incredible job addressing inequities in the outdoors and providing philanthropic support uh, for big initiatives like these. And so uh, this actually became a partnership between IDEA, uh, the VF Foundation, and the North Base, and SmartWool, another one of our brands, to provide financial support for the expedition. But the group leader actually invited me to participate uh, as a way to witness the experience, uh, to be part of the storytelling arc and narrative, and to really try to unpack some of the key aspects of this experience that may help us be more thoughtful about how we as a company and through our brands invite folks who haven't historically been invited to participate in the outdoors. And so, so grateful for his wisdom and grateful for his generosity and allowing me to join the group. Um, as they, you know, really conducted this historical moment um, on behalf of, um, of Black Americans. And so made the trek from Kathmandu to Everest Base Camp, which is, um, you know, about 14,000 vertical feet of elevation. Um, oh for gosh. me, it was super impactful because I had never backpacked or trekked ever in my life. And so it was a really introspective opportunity for me to think about why I had never thought those activities were for me uh, and what was keeping me from participating fully in, um, you know, in the activities that our company supports uh, and that I'm surrounded by every day and um, just really had an incredible life-altering experience with in with a very inspiring group of climbers from really around the world and uh, just with super grateful to have witnessed their achievement and to have been part of um, helping it come to fruition. That's really interesting because even working within this organization that is a leader worldwide in the outdoor industry, it still doesn't always feel accessible. Or welcome, <laughs> 100%. It's intimidating. It can be intimidating. And I think what was really powerful about this experience was the invitation to participate. And that's one of the things that we've tried to bottle and capture from the experience is how can our brands also uh, ensure that they're extending invitations to participate and um, being very thoughtful about ones being very direct um, about what the barriers have been. Um, and in cases like the North Face and SmartWool in this case, taking actions to break down those barriers to change the face of representation, to change the narrative around what elite mountaineering can look like, uh, and then to also take steps to make sure the next generation finds it more, more accessible and finds themselves welcome. So super proud of the brand, um, also proud of myself uh, for stepping into the challenge. Um, you know, my kids yeah. were terrified for me. <laughs> Um, but you know, what an incredible experience to, to be a part of their historical moment. And, um, I'm just glad I can, mm -hmm. I can be part of the storytelling. 
there's a great video online that we're going to link in our show notes where you are telling the story of some of your Everest climb. And one of the things that you say in there is that you were pretty much the slowest one in the group. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that maybe wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I was definitely the slowest person in the group. <laughs> no question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no maybe about that. Um, but yeah, I had um, an incredible supporter. Uh, his name is, is KG, James Kagambi, who is a Kenyan 62-year-old climber who's actually taking a person on my team up Kilimanjaro as we speak. And um, he decided to walk with me. And I was so humbled by that. <laughs> a lot of times we walked in silence. Sometimes he would coach me. Um, but what, it became a really intimate experience um, and exercise and connection. He listened to my breath and he adjusted our pace based upon how I was breathing and um, became a really, you know, a multi-week uh, walking meditation for me, which was incredibly powerful as someone who believes in meditation. But I think what was really interesting is there was a moment when we were walking in complete silence and he turned around and he said, I'm not doing this for you. <laughs> and I, <laughs> all I could do is laugh. Um, and he said, you know, I don't know if I'll ever be here again. And walking with you is allowing me the opportunity to fully take in where I am each moment. Mm. And I thought it was such a way to reframe this. You know, I was so af afraid that I was taking something from him by forcing him to walk slow. And I had guilt attached to that. Whereas in fact, he was experiencing it completely differently. There was a value in walking with me and having the time to enjoy the moment and recognize the moment that he was in. So, so many lessons learned from that experience. You know, some of them are yeah. certainly uh, practical and tactical in their skill set and application in terms of, you know, I, I now know that I am capable physically of, of trekking something of that difficulty. But what's even more important than that for me is this sense of um, connection that I had uh, with many of the climbers, but particularly with KG, and also many life lessons that I'll keep with me uh, far beyond the, the boundaries of the trip. In that video about your Everest climb, you also talk a lot about the importance of inspiration. It's probably just because I am a dancer as well, but I had to ask you about the importance of dance in your life because in doing some research, I read you were on the ballroom dance team at Columbia uh, and your, your first couple of jobs out of college were also in the dance space. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love talking about dance and I will need to find, learn more about your dance experience too. Yeah. I, um, I started ballet or my mother started me dancing ballet at two and a half. So it's always been part of my creative self-expression. However, when I got to college, uh, I found partner dancing or ballroom dancing. And that to me just awakened a whole nother level um, of passion and, um, and joy for me in dance. Um, when I, when I think back to ballet, for me, it was all about connection with music and, you know, if you're in an ensemble cast, you know, the peer and camaraderie, but there's something really special about you dancing with another individual. And I just absolutely fell in love with the ability to connect with another human in a moment in, in space and time. And I actually lean on salsa everywhere I travel. It is my, it is my source of community 
uh, I can be in a country where I don't speak the language and can connect with somebody really authentically and beautifully um, through dance. And it's something that I've, I've held on to my entire life. Uh, ballroom uh, took on a pretty important uh, role for me out of college. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And so I leaned on dance and ended up working for a dance studio in Times Square called Dance Times Square as a marketing and communications lead, uh, which meant I was writing copy for their website and dancing a whole lot. Uh, but what was really cool is it, it really started me, you know, started my career, helped me understand the right balance of passion and skill set. And I've sought to replicate that in every role that I've had since. Uh, and also it was a studio that a lot of the original pros from Dancing with the Stars came out of. So I have some pretty cool yeah. friends who've gone on to do yeah. amazing things. Uh, but yeah, but we'll always, dance will always be my first love. The connection with a partner is so wonderful and I, I totally understand and relate. Uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you, Lauren, which we ask all of our guests here, as a voice of experience, what is something that you would want to pass on to our listeners? Oh, that's always a hard question. I think for me, um, the thing I always celebrate is authenticity. And I think a lot of times we like to believe in a story of ourselves and it keeps us trapped and limited to what we can see and what we believe. But I think life and career offer so many unexpected uh, opportunities to step into that will play on strengths you didn't know you had and passions you had not yet seen. And my career story is one of saying yes uh, strategically to the right things. And many of those things were, um, you know, opportunities I could have never visioned for myself. So I say find the balance of passion, perseverance, and lean into luck and lean into opportunity and find those ways to be authentic to who you are without uh, containing yourself to a narrative. So don't be fearful of being expansive. That's Lauren Guthrie, the global idea and talent development leader at VF Corporation. Lauren, it was so much fun talking to you. Thanks. Oh, so much fun talking to you. Thanks again for having me. How do you prepare to climb 14,000 feet to Mount Everest Base Camp? Lauren Guthrie can tell you how she did it, Reflections, observations, photos, videos, and so much more from her journey are on our show notes. That's at daniels.du.edu slash voe podcast. The VOE podcast is an extension of Voices of Experience, the signature speaker series at the Daniels College of Business, sponsored by U.S. Bank. Chloe Smith is our sound engineer. Alumnus Joshua Metzel wrote our theme. I'm Lauren Fultenberg. We'll see you next time.